0: reading this morning from Isaiah 60 verse 1 to 7. Arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your brightness to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Epa. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedder's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Noboeth will serve you, and they will ex- be accepted as offerings on my altar, and I will adorn my glorious temple.
1: It's the Lord, the Lord. Good morning. Uh, my name's Nick. For those of you who I haven't met, I'm excited to be preaching this morning on Well-Focused Sunday. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, this is a a beautiful picture of you and your people and the nations. As we look at this picture, Lord, I pray you just capture our hearts and our minds. I pray that as we see this story that we really are a part of, that our attitude to the nations globally and locally would just be transformed, we pray in your name. Amen. Um, When my wife and I moved to uh, Wilsdon Green over the summer, we had an interesting moment um, one weekend we were in the garden. It was a lovely sunny day. Um, we're relaxing in the sunshine. All the neighbours you can hear chatting in the kind of gardens around us. Um, and we're having a lovely time, but something felt slightly strange. We couldn't kind of figure it out. I realised it felt a bit like um, a bit like being on holiday in a in, in, a, in a different country, a country you'd never been to before. We couldn't quite figure that strange feeling. And then suddenly we realised that all the voices we could hear around us, none of them were speaking English. That was a strange experience for me. I've, ne- I've never lived anywhere before where, where none of the people all around me um, uh, come from England. And so I, you know, I responded the only way I could. I, I painted a St. George's flag on my chest, and <laughs> I, started, I started singing three lines on a shirt at the top of my voice. no. <laughs> It's not what I did. But no, my, my reaction did kind of surprise me. Um, th- there I am. I can hear all these voices around me. Uh, I, I didn't think, great, it's a wonderful opportunity to forge new friendships across cultural barriers and maybe share the gospel across cultural barriers. I didn't think that. I thought, oh, this is going to make it harder, harder to form friendships, maybe harder to share the gospel. Oh. And as I noticed that reaction in myself, I, I, I was a bit surprised. It forced me to take a step back and ask this question. It forced me to ask myself, what is my attitude to other nations and the people from them, really? And that's a question I want us all to ask and think about this morning. What is your attitude to other nations um, and the people? from them. I think there are two levels to this question. First of all, what's your attitude kind of on the big scale, the nations of the world? We're thinking this morning about, about global mission. Uh, what's your attitude to that? Are you the kind of person who springs out of bed at 4am and prays for 20 missionaries before breakfast? The kind of person who's excited by, by this? Are you the kind of person who you care, but it often just kind of slips off the agenda? You know, you'd like to care more, you know, It's on your prayer list, but it's at, the back, it's at the end and you often don't get to it. You care, but you'd like to care more. Or maybe you're the kind of person who, if you're honest, you just don't think about it much. Just don't really think about other nations and the spread of the gospel. What's your attitude to other nations on the big scale And what's your attitude to other nations on the local scale? Like when you meet people from different backgrounds, you know, different clothes, uh, speaking a different language, eating different food, what's your instinctive attitude in that moment? Are you thinking, great, wonderful? Or like me, do you think, oh, those things are going to make it harder. (laughs) Those things are a bit of a barrier. What's your attitude to other nations? I think this is a massively important question right now. Because if you hadn't noticed, something something happened this weekend. <laughs> Brexit. I, I said the B-word, I'm sorry. Um, whatever you make of, 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 of what's happened, moving forwards, kind of stepping into the unknown, what's our attitude to other nations going to be? I mean, as a country, as a city. As a church, maybe as a discipleship group, as an individual, what is our attitude to other nations going to be moving forward? Now, As I thought about this, I think, I wonder what you think of this, I think that your attitude to other nations depends on the story you think you're a part of. And your attitude to other nations depends on the story that you think you're a part of. Let me explain what I mean. Take take Brexit as an example. I don't want it to dominate too much, but take Brexit as an example. My mates that are are super pro-Europe... The story that they think they're a part of is that uh, all people, uh, all of humanity is kind of gradually coming together. We're all kind of mixing in together, and we're all going to basically adopt the same values in this kind of beautiful unity. That's the big story they think they're a part of, and that changes their attitude to other nations. Or take my pro-Brexit friends. They think that the big story they're a part of is that we all have separate cultural identities, and, and, and those really matter. We should protect them. And that's the way for kind of humanity to flourish. And that story affects the way their attitude to other nations. But here's the question. What story do you think you're a part of? I mean, forget Brexit. More fundamentally, what story do you think you're a part of when it comes to other nations? Because that will change your attitude. Now, in these, uh, in these verses in Isaiah, Isaiah, he kind of pulls back the veil um, to show us this glorious picture um, that, that God is painting. Right? The story that God, is, that God is writing and our place in it. God, his people, and the nations around them. It's the story that we're a part of. I mean, when Isaiah wrote these words, it was, it was at a time when uh, Israel's attitude to the other nations was pretty bad, to be honest. If you look through Isaiah, there's just a lot of hostility for centuries, a lot of hostility from the nations around. And uh, Israel's attitude has normally either been terror or groveling or kind of exploiting the minorities in their midst. So bad, bad, and really bad. like. Israel has had a bad attitude to the nations and the way that Isaiah tries to change that, the way that he tries to change our attitude is by showing them this picture, giving them and us this picture of what God is doing in the world with the nations of God, his people and the nations of the world. We're going to see three things as a part of this picture. Well, two things and three implications. First of all, um, God shines his light on us through the darkness, verses 1 to 3. And we're going to see the nations drawing in, verses 4 to 7. And then there are three, three uh, commands. So we're to look, we're to rise, and we're to, to shine. So that's where we're going. First, uh, first key thing to see then is uh, God shines his light on us in the darkness. Have a look down at verse 1 with me. Uh, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. And thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Um, I hear sunrise over Jerusalem apparently is is absolutely breathtaking. Um, tourists still flock to it today, and Isaiah would have been familiar with that sight. Imagine it with me. Darkness hanging over the city of Jerusalem. And then the first rays of light begin to appear from the east over the Mount of Olives and begin to break upon the city. And as you watch the rays drive away the darkness, the light floods the scene, walls, gates, domes and towers all bathe in the light's warmth and glory. But as I uses that kind of breathtaking image... As a picture of an infinitely greater reality, which is the story that we are a part of. So, first two, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. Darkness here means, I think, three things. Firstly, darkness in Isaiah symbolizes sin and injustice, right? That selfishness, that instinct which leads to there being women trafficked all over London this morning. That instinct that leads to manipulative bosses and abusive husbands, that instinct that leads to oppressed minorities and broken homes, that instinct that leads to harsh words at a happy family meal that just cast a shadow over the whole evening, sin, the darkness that hangs over the earth. The second thing I think darkness symbolizes is, in Isaiah is um, blindness to the things of God. Like man's inability to see God and his truth and to organize our lives around it. Like we're stumbling around in the dark. Blindness. Like a darkness that hangs over the earth. third thing I think it symbolizes is death. The ultimate shadow that hangs over all people. Death has cast a shadow on all, so many of the things we do and render so many of them meaningless. Death, darkness hanging over the world. Now, often we don't, we don't kind of look at that darkness around us, but it's there. I mean, I've said this before, but if, if we could see an aggregate of all the misery across London this morning, all the tears and loneliness... And brokenness and oppression. Yeah. <laughs> we think this world, is, this world is covered in darkness. But there's a wonderful but in verse 2. Have a look down. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Like the dawn rising over Jerusalem, God has shone his light into the darkness. This reminds me of my my favorite bit of Church of England liturgy that we had to study at Bible school um, is this line. In the darkness of our sin, God's love breaks forth like the dawn. And notice, Isaiah really wants us to know where this light has dawned. Did you see that? Have a look down at verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises where? Upon you. Verse 2, second half. But the Lord rises where? And his glory appears where? Over you. But Do you, you get the privilege of that? A world covered in darkness. Where does God shine his light and his glory? Onto you you his people it doesn't stop there verse 3 nations will come to that light kings to the brightness of your dawn god shines his glory through the darkness darkness onto his people and others get drawn to that light Uh, it's not that god's people kind of create that light it's his light but they radiate it to the world and then the world draws in that's a beautiful picture a beautiful stunning image what does it mean for you and me well, it's this verse from the New Testament that hopefully is going to come up on the screens? We started our service with it. This is Paul writing. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. He's the dawn that breaks into the darkness. It's him, it's his light that drives the darkness back. Remember the three types of darkness, sin, blindness, and death? Well, he drives back the darkness of sin, dying on the cross so we can be forgiven. He drives back the darkness of blindness by his life, showing us, opening our eyes to who God is. He drives back the darkness of death in his resurrection, smashing through death and opening a way for us to live with God forever. It's Christ who dawns into the darkness and shines his light. But again, in this verse, where has this light fallen? Have a look. If it could come up again, that would be great. Thanks. <laughs> where has it fallen? In the middle there. He's made his light shine where? In our hearts. Unbelievable privilege of that world covered in thick darkness. God's light dawns where? In, on you, if you're a Christian here this evening, this morning. It's on you, Christchurch Mayfair, that this light has dawned. Now, is that how you see yourself? Right? Is that the story that you think you're a part of? God shining his light through the darkness onto us so that we radiate it to the nations of the world. Is that how you see yourself? Because if it is, if we start to see ourselves this way, that begins to start changing our attitude to the nations around us. God shines his light on us in the darkness. We need to keep going. Uh, Next point. The nations draw in, verses 4 to 7. These verses, he basically just expands on verse 3, and Isaiah kind of gets us to imagine verse 3 in in, in detail. So kind of work with me here. You need to try and picture these things as we go through verse at a time. Verse 4. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. So imagine it, there we are, darkness over all the earth, God's light breaking over us. And as we look into the gloom, we begin to see some figures emerge, drawing into the light. And they seem to be male and female. They seem to be young. They seem to be old, drawn into God's light to praise him. Here it says sons and daughters. I think that's a reference to those that had historically been part of God's people but had spread out all over the world drawing into the light. But it doesn't stop there. We're going to skip verse 5, down to verse 6. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. So as we look into the gloom, more people start emerging. And these people are from even further away. These people are, are wearing strange clothes And they're speaking strange languages. And they're carrying strange riches and cultural artifacts. And they bring them all into the light to lay down in worship of God. Now, I think that for Isaiah's original readers, this would have been mind-blowing. Because up to this point in Isaiah, anytime nations come to Jerusalem, they come to crush it. They come to attack and to subjugate But here, they're not coming with chariots to crush. The nations are coming with their riches to lay down with God's people in praise of God. And One thing that I really like about this, do you notice this isn't talking about cultural assimilation? Right, this isn't that, 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 that cultures have to uh, leave behind their distinctive identities and all get sucked into one weird Christian culture. No, they seem to maintain their distinctive identities as they bring them in and lay them down to worship God together. And yet there's this wonderful unity. In other words, this is, this is the dream of multiculturalism realized. I've been really surprised since I moved to London. You know, London's always kind of held up as this this shining light of multiculturalism, but I've been really surprised. I don't know what you think, but the other day I was at a swimming pool and I walked onto poolside and there's loads of different kind of cultures represented in the room. There are some white kids and the black kids and the Somalian kids. And guess what? The white kids are playing with the white kids. The black kids are playing with the black kids. And the Somalian kids are playing with the Somalian kids. And we've got these separate cultures near each other They're in the same pool, but they're not united. They're not united. It seems that the the dream of multiculturalism, when we come together, we need something bigger than ourselves to look at if we're going to be truly united. And that's exactly what we get here at the end of verse 6. All these nations come in, and they're looking up at God. They're praising something bigger and more glorious, and that is what unites them. That is what unites us. This is the kind of true hope of multiculturalism and this is the story you're a part of if you're a Christian. Verse seven. All kedar's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar and I will adorn my glorious temple. Look at the end of that verse there. I will adorn my glorious temple. God is talking here about his decorating plans. I wonder, I wonder what you're like at, at decoration. Um, personally, I'm terrible. I am rubbish. I know nothing about decoration. I have about as much artistic sensitivity as Donald Trump's hairstylist. I, I'm just terrible at it. When I walk into a room, I think, is there enough room for me to wrestle? Is there enough room for a projector? I don't think. Do the curtains match my eyes? I just, I'm rubbish. I—I Decoration, I don't do it. My wife's amazing at it, though. But how about you? Like, how do you beautify? How do you decorate the place where you dwell? More importantly, how does God decorate his dwelling? Think about that, right? The, the, the ultimate artist, with the whole universe at his disposal, how does he beautify his dwelling? How does he adorn his temple? it's with people from all nations drawing in in worship of him those are the paintings that he wants on the wall of his house that's true eternally in the new creation and it's true of his, his dwelling the church now that is how god beautifies his dwelling with people from all nations and that's the story you're a part of if you're a christian here today That doesn't start to shape our attitude when we meet people from other nations. I, I'm not sure what will. There's just uh, a, an interesting detail that I noticed in verse, uh, in verse six. Uh, Herds of camels uh, will cover your land, young camels from Midian and Eva, and all from Sheba will come. Do you notice what they're carrying? Gold and incense. Does that ring any bells? People coming from distant lands bearing gold and incense. What if I tell you that incense is the same word as frankincense? Right, this is a reference to when Christ was born. It, this started when Christ was born. That nativity story where, where when people come from far nations and they lay down their riches, gold and frankincense, at Christ's feet. This has started now. It's happening now. And by the way, it's happening here. We just ran a Christianity Explore course as a church. I think two people profess faith. One of them's from the Jordan, the other one's from Korea. The nation's drawn to the Lord's light. It's happening here. It's also happening all over the world. I found some astonishing statistics this week. In China, Uh, in 1900, there were approximately 18,000 Christians. Now, it's hard to tell, that it's somewhere between 110 million and 234 million from 18,000 in just over 100 years. (laughs) Not just China, Africa. So in uh, 1900 in Africa, there were roughly 9 million Christians. Now there are 541 million Christians. In the last 15 years, it was an average of 33,000 people per day born into or converted into Christianity. One commentator says, this is the biggest shift in religious affiliation the world has ever seen. It's happening. Now, if you're anything like me, I don't know about you, but I'm instinctively kind of skeptical when I hear those statistics. You know, living in Britain, it's, it's hard to imagine. But why? Why is it hard to imagine like God says right here, this is what's going to happen. Hey, maybe, maybe the reason we find it hard to believe is that we're not looking. I don't know about you, but I'm so obsessed with my own little story, and I think, oh, well, my friends don't seem that interested, so that must be what's happening all over the world. No, no, the nations are pouring in. Now this brings me, I think, to the first, the first of the three big implications for us, the three things this, this uh, passage commands us to do. The first one is look. Check out verse 4 with me. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. We're told to look, look at what the Lord is doing as people are drawn in from all nations. Maybe the reason that we're so skeptical, so downcast and lacking in confidence is we're just not looking. We're not looking at what God is doing all over the world. Verse 5 tells us that as we do that, look at verse 5. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy seems here, there's a link between looking and shining. As we look at what God is doing, it says our heart will begin to throb. You know that feeling, that kind of nervous excitement feeling, like when I tell my son he's allowed to watch Ninjago, and he's just... (laughs) That kind of nervous excitement feeling. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. That word swell, widen like a balloon. Swell with joy. So maybe if, our, if that's not happening, if our faith seems shriveled and dry, maybe it's because we're not looking at what God's doing. Like we're not looking at the big picture that we're a part of. Again, two, two, two levels at which we can look. First level, look at what God's doing all over the world. I think one of the best ways of doing that is these prayer cards. Look. <laughs> look at what God's doing all over the world. Use them. And... If you've got a family, why not pick some of these cards? And once or twice a week, pray pray them through with the kids. A great way to train your kids to look, to do what it says in verse 4, to look about them at what the Lord is doing. Look, Look about you on the global scale. But the other level that we can look up, I think, is just around us. As we look around London, try to see the world through this lens. As we encounter people from different backgrounds, and nationalities. Don't see those things as a barrier like I I tend to do. See them as an open door. This is the story we're a part of, shining that light to the nations. Those those moments are opportunities. Look about us. That's the first thing we're commanded to do. Uh, The next two things we're commanded to do are in uh, verse 1. So, Uh, Verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Arise there. Uh, The the, the picture is, the dawn's come, the sun's risen, and it's shining, but some people it's shining on are still asleep. I had a friend at university who used to sleep for 16 hours a day. (laughs) You'd get up, you'd you'd go to your lectures and go to play sport and come back and have lunch, and halfway through the afternoon, he's still sleeping through the day. To be fair, he was a student at Loughborough University studying drama. (laughs) He didn't have much to do. But (laughs) Sorry if there are any drama students. (laughs) But um, I remember after a couple of months of this, genuinely, we were having a conversation and he said, Nick, do you know what? I've realised I'm just wasting my life. And you think, yeah. That took you two months to figure that one out. Like Sleeping when the sun has risen is wasting your time. It's a waste of life. But the point here in verse 1 is that Isaiah is saying it is possible to do that as a Christian. It's possible to live like the sun hasn't risen. To live just like everyone around us in the darkness. How many Christians waste their lives just by, 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 by having the same, the same ambitions as everyone else, the same lifestyle as everyone else, the same attitude to comfort and material goods, just asleep to what God is doing in the world. The world is in darkness, but the sun has risen. So wake up, rise, Isaiah says, rise. Now, it strikes me that we've... Um, over the last three weeks we've had a a wonderful sermon series um, haven't we about not wasting our lives but my, my fear is that for some of us we've been asleep and we wake up to hear that sermon series and listen to it yeah 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 it's really challenging and then just go back to sleep again don't let that happen wake up Right, if God has been saying things to you over the last three weeks, don't just let it slip away. Okay, Wake up. Don't go back to sleep. The world's in darkness. The, the sun has risen on you. Shine. Rise and shine. That brings me on to the second, the second application, which is the next word. Arise and shine. Shine. We're to shine. We're to radiate into the dark the light that God has shone upon us. Now, how, how do you do that? How do I do that, Nick? I don't know, (laughs) ask your DG leader. I don't don't know each of you what the best way will be for you to try and put this into action, but I will will just throw out a bunch of suggestions, okay? Here are a few ideas for what you might want to do in order to shine. Number one, equip. We're starting some new evangelism training sessions. The the details are are in the notices. The whole aim of them is to equip you to shine. Come along, suggestion number one. Suggestion number two, Pray for your neighbors. Pray for opportunities with your neighbors. I'm, so I have to tell you this story. I, about a month ago, I started praying, um, Lord, please show me any lonely people in the neighborhood so that my family can care for them. I also separately started praying, God, I think we've got too much stuff. What should we do with our stuff? Okay. And then yesterday, out of nowhere, my wife and I get a WhatsApp message saying, there's a gentleman around the corner, an elderly gentleman called Saeed, who's extremely lonely, and he's just been robbed and needs some stuff. Can you help? I I got that text yesterday. God answers our prayers. Pray for your neighbours. Pray for them. It's really exciting when it happens. Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. I mean, not the bit where he got robbed. That wasn't what I was praying for. But thank you, Lord. Pray. Pray for your neighbours. That's the second idea. Third idea... Um, (laughs) Invite people to dinner. Invite Christians and non-Christians to dinner. Simple, it's fun, and God does wonderful things when we do that. If you don't have room in your house, go out to a restaurant. Invite Christians and non-Christians to dinner. Second idea. Uh, Third idea. Uh, Fourth uh, you might not know about this, but gospel conversations. We have groups that go out from church every couple of weeks, and they go into the local area, and they try and strike up conversations with strangers to try and do this, to try and shine the light and share the gospel. And it's scary, and it's uncomfortable, but it's also amazing. See, what happens is we, we get new people come all the time, and they, they come along, and they're scared, and they're worried that it's going to be really uncomfortable, but we train you. We put you with someone who's experienced, and then we send you out. And what happens is when people come back, they're always buzzing. They're always buzzing. They're verse 5. Their hearts are trembling and swelling with joy because they're taking part in this story. So why not think about coming along to Gospel Conversations? If you want more information, please chat to me or Christian at the end. And yes, it will be uncomfortable, But if all you care about is comfort, it will just roll over and go back to sleep. It is going to be uncomfortable to shine. That's not a reason not to do it. Final idea, final idea, number five. Um, Maybe, as Matt mentioned earlier, maybe there are some people here who should consider missionary work. Maybe there are some people here who could give a summer or a few years or your life. To doing this, to shining in the darkness in a country that really, really needs it. If that's you, or if, 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 if yeah, yeah, it would be scary, yeah, it would be uncomfortable, but yeah, it would be wonderful. If that's you, or you want to kind of investigate that, do, do come and chat. There's a few ideas. Here are some, there's some suggestions for what it might look like to shine, but just take a second and think, what's it going to be for you? How are you going to shine? This week, how is your diary going to be different? Who are you gonna text, or call, or pursue, or pray for? How are you gonna shine? The Lord shines his light on us through the darkness. The nations gather in, so look, rise, and shine. Let me pray. Lord, this is a truly magnificent picture We thank you so much that you would shine your light into our hearts to give us the knowledge of your glory in the face of Christ. Father, please help us to wake up. Please help us to see what you're doing. Please help us to take our part in the story that you're writing. We pray in your name and for your glory.